I think starting a recruitment business is not about the market or timing. I think it's about you. Success in our industry is about your passion, your drive, your conviction, your belief, your expertise. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and my special guest today is James Kahn. James is a serial entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist, and formal panelist on the hit TV series, Dragon's Den. James founded two recruitment companies with combined revenues of over a billion pounds, Alexander Mann Solutions and Humana International. In 2004, he set up his own private equity firm, Hamilton Bradshaw, and in 2014, he launched Recruitment Entrepreneur. To date, Recruitment Entrepreneur has enabled 32 founders to launch and scale 22 recruitment businesses. Welcome, James. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Mark. An absolute pleasure. Wonderful. So you were introduced to me by your colleague, Abed Hamid, who's been on the show before. Uh, he came to talk about recruit, recruitment entrepreneurs. So shout out to Abed. Um, James, with 40 years experience in the recruitment industry, we can't possibly cover your entire career in an hour. So um, what I want to recommend to people is if they want the full story of your fascinating life, they should read your autobiography, The Real Deal. Uh from Brooklyn to Dragon's Den. It's absolutely brilliant. I've, I've read a lot of autobiographies, James. I, I like reading, especially business autobiographies. And yours is the only one I've read multiple times. So, uh, so definitely check that out. Um, James, let's, considering where we are and what we've been through over the last 12 months or so, what do you see as the key challenges as well as the opportunities for recruiters to be successful in the current market in a post-pandemic world? It's a great question, Mark. So what I'd like to do is share with you some live experience of some of the work and the challenges uh, that I faced over the past 12 months. The first thing that I've noticed is the impact of internal recruitment on our sector. I think in, internal recruitment uh, is growing at a rapid rate. And what I'm finding is typically most positions sub 50,000 salaries are the ones that, that are being very easily filled with internal recruitment by using job boards, LinkedIn, and a whole host of methods and new technology that's available. So my strong advice would be if you're a recruiter out there and you're operating at that end of the market, my advice would be you need to move up and you need to be elevating yourself above the 50,000 salary and start working on more senior positions where clients can justify the specialism that's needed to use an external recruiter would be point number one. Point number two that I've experienced over the last 12 months is a lot of my experienced consultants have become very obsessed with being very niche market specialists in disciplines so maybe they're specializing in marketing or tax or accounting, etc. But what I've noticed over the last 12 months is we've developed some incredible relationships with our clients and we understand the clients really well and we understand that sector very well. But within the clients, certain disciplines go to other agencies. So, for example, if I happen to be placing somebody in finance and they happen to have a marketing position – they probably wouldn't give that to me. But with technology and LinkedIn and the, the methodology used for sourcing candidates, to be fair, I'm just as equally as capable 
of filling that position as the next person. But I'm the one with the relationship with the client and I'm the one who knows that sector very well. So one of my strong advices to recruiters out there is start thinking laterally by expanding horizontally across your client base. Present your proposition to the client as somebody who's an expert in the sector, but the value that you bring is you know the client, you know the culture, you've placed successfully there before, and convince the client that you are just as capable of sourcing you know, a HR person, a finance person, a marketing person, because you are a, you know, an experienced professional recruiter. And we all know that the methodology used is the same. And that way you will find that you will be able to penetrate that customer much more effectively and retain that relationship rather than the client having to go to six different recruiters on six different disciplines. So my advice is to be able to horizontally spread across the client and try and fill multiple positions within the client, the same client, albeit in different disciplines. Mm, interesting. James, can I um, play devil's advocate for a moment? And um, I guess what I'm thinking, first of all, I totally can see the value of maximizing a client relationship. You know, they've, they, they trust you, they know you. And if there's other opportunities within that company, then you're in a good position to be able to take on those, those other searches. On the flip side, I've interviewed many, many really big billers across the, the world. And one of the common traits is that because they're niche market experts, they're able to recycle so every one good candidate they find, they might be, you know, have five clients who are interested in that person. And likewise, for every, you know, vacancy they're working, then they can very quickly, um, you know, uncover their best talent, perhaps more quickly and more easily than a competitor who doesn't have that, you know, domain expertise. So I'm just trying to reconcile, you know, these two seemingly conflicting um, viewpoints. Is there, what's your thought? Is there, is there a way of finding a happy medium here? I, I think it's a good point, Mark. I don't think they're conflicting because I'm not saying don't do what you're doing. I'm saying we all want to do more. We want to develop more. And let's be blunt, we want to build more. The point I'm making is that I think there is a missed opportunity that I've seen this many, many times in the last 12 months where we've placed somebody with a client and the client has another opportunity which he goes to somebody else for. I'm saying that at that time, as incremental and additional revenue, albeit the point you make is a valid one, that I may, because I'm a specialist in marketing, I may not have tax candidates. The point that I'm making is, as we all know, in most of our sectors, the client is king. Winning work is the key driver. And if I can win that work and I know how to source candidates, which clearly we do, and using technology today, sourcing candidates and following a brief is just as effective. So the whole objective here is how do we develop our careers? How do we build more? How do we become more successful? And I'm just adding another element to that, which is how do we do more with the same clients that we already do business with? And to me, longer term, that's a very smart strategy because the more, the deeper your relationship with that client, 
the more you know repetitive work you're likely to win. But if you're just, for example, just dealing with tax, he may just hire one person this year from you. So you're limited to, you know, in some cases, to the depth of your relationship with that client if you're just too specialized within that discipline. Understood. So you're suggesting more of a sector specialism and be agnostic as to the function. And then, um, I mean, for sure, we all know in business that it's much harder to win a new client than it is to get uh, repeat business from an existing client. And, you know, recruiters are um, often too superficial, too transactional with their clients. So it's, it can never be a bad thing to develop deeper relationships. I, I totally get that. Fantastic. So in addition to moving up the value chain and working on more senior positions, number one, number two is maximizing the value of every client relationship. What else are you advising to the recruiters within your portfolio companies? The other thing that we found um, really successful is obviously the last 12 months, the one thing that we all experienced, that job flow dried up because, you know, the pandemic created almost a halt to recruitment. And the thing that we did that really surprised me is because we were looking for work and we had deep relationships with clients, we started to look above and beyond the geography that we've typically worked in. So typically, most of my recruiters were doing work in the UK, but the UK, there were no positions. Um, So we started networking amongst our client further afield into Europe, Germany, Asia, US. Last year, we did more international business than we've ever done before. The only difference is, let's be honest, we were desperate and therefore we worked harder and we asked more questions. So the one thing I'm slightly concerned about is let's not lose that element of strength that we created last year because I had people filling positions in Germany, in France, in Italy, in Spain, in the US, in China, in Hong Kong. And what did we really do differently, Mark? We asked the question that we typically don't ask, you know, and we networked within those clients because most clients that we deal with are international businesses. They have offices, you know, in many countries around the world. And again, it goes back to my same point. The principle of sourcing somebody in Germany is no different than sourcing the guy in the UK. And it's just broadening your mind spec and broadening the way that you think and being in a position when you talk to the client in Germany and say, you know, Brian, I've got a fantastic relationship with your colleague in the UK. You know, him and I have been working together for three years. He referred me to you. You know, this is what I'm doing at the moment. How can I help you in some of the challenging positions that you've got at the moment that you might be struggling to fill? And again, it's simply a case of if I'm billing 200,000 a year, I'm sure my motivation and ambition is how do I get to 300? And again, it's the same principle. I'm, I'm saying it's easier to find work with clients who trust you that you have a reputation with than finding new business. A hundred percent agree with that. And I feel like the pandemic, one of the benefits uh, that has come out of that is people are realizing that you don't have to recruit in your local 
market necessarily that if people are working remotely anyway, then what's the difference recruiting in Germany or Spain or the US? In fact, James, tell me if you agree with this. Um, There is a feeling among, I'm based in the UK, but I have clients globally. And I just wonder if the UK is an overserved market, which is more price sensitive potentially than other markets, and that UK recruiters might actually strengthen their business if they had more diversity among, you know, the um, the client base, you know, in terms of different uh, regions around the world, such as Germany, US, and Asia. What uh, what are your thoughts about doing that proactively and intentionally as as a as a strategy? I mean, there's no question, Mark, that fees are higher in Germany and they're certainly higher in the US. You are absolutely correct. The UK is an overbroked market. It's a highly competitive market. I think there are probably more recruitment agencies in the UK than there are in the US, which is ridiculous because the market is five times the size. So without question, I think that if you're looking to develop your fees and developing, you know, and moving up the value chain, I think international definitely works. The UK is a highly respected recruitment market. So clients around the world do actually like and enjoy working with UK recruiters because, you know, it's a very well established market. And again, last year, we did more work internationally than we've ever done before. And so I know it's possible. It's doable. I think it's about mindset. It's about determination and breaking barriers and and getting out of a comfort zone because we become so used to doing what we did yesterday. But I think people who succeeded in the pandemic last year, you know, they observed the masses and did the opposite. It wasn't about just doing the same again. Uh, Absolutely. Necessity being the mother of invention, you know, uh, created innovation and, and new ways of working. So that's fantastic. Um, what else are you seeing within the most successful recruiters in your, uh, in your network? Um, I think it's making sure that in the market today, we have seen that the market has bound significantly in the first quarter of this year, um, which I think has been a great result for our industry because we did have some very challenging months last year. But 2021 has definitely picked up and across the board, with across all my portfolio businesses, we're all winning a lot of work. The challenge that I'm finding right now is we're getting a lot of counter offers. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that people are getting a bit complacent <coughs> is the quality of the way in which we're managing our candidates, you know, has slightly been diluted. You know, we're just, it, we've become too transactional and we're just not being, we're not doing a thorough enough job in, you know, we're going out and searching a candidate. We find the candidate, his CV is spot on, and we try and present our opportunity. What we haven't done is we haven't really qualified the, the candidate we haven't established the reasons for him to want to move. And sometimes when it becomes so obvious the candidate is perfect, that's when we always make our mistakes because we get too excited because the match is so perfect and we don't do the job well enough. So a lot of the recruiters that I'm talking to in the last month saying, oh, my God, market's really good, picking up a lot of work, you know, but unfortunately I'm getting a lot of counter offers because candidates are staying where they are. 
I think the fundamental principle is, is because we didn't do a good enough job to begin with, because we didn't qualify him, we didn't establish why he would consider moving. And, of course, when he got the job, it was too easy to stay where he is because there was no conviction of leaving or moving. So the thing that I'm doing at the moment is I'm doing a lot of coaching sessions, you know, with a lot of recruiters going back to basics and saying it's very easy to say, oh, but he, off he got often more money or, you know, he decided to stay. To me, that's not acceptable because he, could, he shouldn't have got that far down the line. We should never have presented him to the client until we absolutely felt confident that if he was offered, he would accept. And I'm a great believer. I've been doing, as you know, I've been in this business a long time. When I get a counter offer, you know, for me, it's a sign that I failed the process. I should not have taken the candidate to an offer stage if I hadn't have got complete commitment from him that he would consider moving. Absolutely. And this is an interesting point in that recruiters can get enamored of shiny objects and the latest technology and we did, which is fantastic. I mean, there's no doubt there's some brilliant tools available that make our, our job easier. But then I wonder if some of the classic skills, the craft of recruiting uh, gets forgotten along the way, like the what you're just describing in terms of candidate management, qualification, and um, making sure that an offer is going to be accepted before you even uh, extend one <clears throat> for that matter. I would say that's 70% of the market, Mark. It's as high as that. I think in a market like now where things are good, typically we become complacent. We cut corners and we rush the process. And wherever I've seen people who will do better this year is because they stick to the quality of the process. You can never dilute the quality of the work that you do the way you interact with your client, the way you take the brief, the commitment that you get from the client that he will be working with you. Do not take on positions where there's no commitment from the client. It's too competitive right now. Your time is valuable. If you're working with candidates that have got no real reason to want to move, then you are just wasting your time. Have the conviction of your experience to be able to establish, based on my interaction with this candidate, on a scale of one to 10, how confident am I that he would move? And I think sometimes we're afraid to ask the question because deep down inside we think he may not move. Well, in which case, abandon the search, move to the next one because you're just going to simply waste six weeks, get him all the way to the offer, disappoint your client, disappoint your candidate, and you've wasted six weeks and have nothing to show for it. You're better off qualifying the candidate and establishing what are the three uh, what are the three factors that I have found with this candidate that I've identified that he's communicated to me as to the ingredients or the characteristics that he's looking for in his next move and do I have those available because if I don't he will not move absolutely I, lo I love how you said three reasons or factors because um, people often have multiple reasons for doing things and the first answer they give you may not be the most significant uh, motivator. 
Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I want to encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. And in terms of starting and building successful recruiting firms, do you think that it's harder or easier these days to start a successful firm and, and scale it than it was like when you started Alexander Mann, for example? I mean, I think it's a difficult question to answer because I think starting a recruitment business is not about the market or timing. I think it's about you. Success in our industry is about your passion, your drive, your conviction, your belief, your expertise. So when I invest, you know, I was investing in recruitment businesses 30 years ago and I'm investing in them today. The dynamics have not changed. When I see somebody succeeding, it's rarely because of the market. It's rarely because of the sector. It's generally because of them, because I happen to back the right individual. So I think hiding behind markets or sectors, you know, it's not a good time today for whatever reason. It's not something that I believe in. I think good people build businesses in every market sector, in every geography, and every set of circumstances. So I think the answer is it's about you and your approach to the market. I, I'm familiar with your philosophy of investing in people first rather than necessarily the business. And so I'm fascinated to understand how do you identify or what are the characteristics of someone you think is going to make it happen no matter what? And that is a good investment for you. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on what we define as success. So you can have somebody starting a business and he's got three consultants, you know, and together they're billing a million pounds a year. It's a great lifestyle business. He makes a comfortable living, you know, provides a great life for his family. And in his world, he's a success. So it depends on what we define as success. Somebody else could look at that three-man business and say it's a lifestyle. It has no value because it's all dependent on the founder. So to me... It's, it's a very broad question. What do we define as success? Because success means something different to everybody. So I think if you're looking to build a lifestyle business, the characteristics are very different. If you're looking to build a medium-sized business with 10, 15 people, the circumstances are very different. 
Because at that in that environment, your ability to attract, manage, develop talent is critical to your success. And as we both know, Mark, most people who look to start up on their own, the trigger point that they make that decision is based on their billings. So when somebody's billing well is where they generally get the confidence to want to start their own. But billing well is only one characteristic of building a business, and there are 10. So there are 10 different characteristics, and people make that decision generally based on one of one out of 10 characteristics. So the reason why 73% of the UK recruitment market is dominated by businesses that are boutiques and less than 10 people is because the decision was only made based on one factor and ignored the other nine factors. Wow. Okay, that's fascinating. I have to ask them, what are they factors? Um, well, so if you're thinking of starting a recruitment business, the first question I would say is, what is the scale or size? And what is the objective? What is the matter? Is it a lifestyle business? In which case, the, the circumstances are very different. They are very much around you, your market specialization, your customer experience, the service you provide, the level of your billings, etc. If you're looking to build, you know, a more scalable business, then understanding the importance of your brand, I think is critical in today's market. I think brand value does have great value in the sector. Your ability to track talent is critical. It's crucial. If you can't attract good talent, you're never going to scale the business. And therefore, you may actually be better off where you are. Attracting talent is one part of the equation, but how do I manage good talent whilst managing the business and billing myself is a critical skill you need to have. If you're attracting good talent and you're retaining good talent, how do you develop good talent moving forward? Because most people want to join you because they want to develop to the next level. Rarely will people come to you who they're good because they want to go backwards. So what is it that you have prepared, planned, and what you can execute to show that individual how he progresses with you? You've then got the business side of it. Managing the business financially, there are many, many recruitment businesses who go bust because they run out of money. When they run out of money, it's because they don't understand how to run a business. So what are the skills that you have from a commercial perspective? What is the decision-making capability that you have in making tough business decisions? How good are you collecting cash? So many recruiters I meet today put their entire focus on winning the work, not focusing on payment terms. But if you take, for example, if a client, a lot of the big multinationals pay within 90 days. But typically, when you win that assignment, it can take you 90 days to fill the position. So let's say I took the position in January and I got it offered and accepted in March. And he had to give three months notice, which is June, and they pay within 90 days of start date. That means I don't get paid till September. How do I fund the business for that nine-month period? So payment terms, I think, is crucial part of the process. But so many recruiters, when I meet them looking to start their own business, pay no attention to payment terms. If you're starting a business that happens to be in contract, 
how do you fund the contract book in the early stages? So understanding the funding cycle within the contract market is absolutely crucial. Then you've got making decisions based on financial trends, based on activity, you know, recruiting people who are better than you, developing managers, attracting managers, you know, developing an advisory board. You know, there are, it's, it's literally a list of 10 to 15 factors, all of which when you bring them together are the skills that allow you to scale the business. So mm. one of the reasons why in the UK very few people ever get to a position of scale because they've not paid enough attention to any of those factors. So when you imagine a typical recruiter, he works in an environment where effectively he's responsible for billing, but he has no responsibility, awareness, accountability of branding, marketing, business, credit control, you know, negotiating leases, finding premises, you know, attracting talent, managing talent, coaching talent, you know, offering share options, negotiating, you know, employment contracts, dealing with legal disputes, all of those things he never, ever gets any exposure to. But when he sets up on his own, the one thing I can assure you, all of those things come into play. And that's one of the fundamental reasons why businesses never get beyond three or four people, because all of those factors play a significant part in growing and scaling. Absolutely. It makes total sense. You know, often people who set up on their own were successful billers with their previous firm, and then they go out on their own, but there's all these other skills that they've not had exposure to. So James, I captured seven there. One was, of course, the ability to bill and make placements yourself. Two was the ability to build a brand. Third was being able to attract great talent to come and join your firm. Fourth was managing that talent and getting them to build themselves. Fifth was developing that talent. So they're, you retain them and they add more and more increasing value to the, to the business. Sixth was the business management skills, which are distinct from the selling and the sales management skills. So in terms of the commercials, cash flow, you know, payment terms and so on. Seven was then being able to develop and build your management team. Am I missing anything? Like what else what would you add technology, to Technology, I think technology mm. plays a significant part in the business today. How mm. you use technology, whether that's your CRM system, whether that's using external, whether that's using LinkedIn, the use of technology today in recruitment is a significant ingredient to scaling the business. So I think I would definitely put technology as a critical part within the business that we're doing. I think having a, a career path within a business, mm -hmm. I think is, is really crucial because when we're talking about scale, having a structured career path is critical. I think the whole subject of creative and innovative remuneration structure within your business, I think is crucial. Just offering somebody a bit more on the basic salary is never going to cut it anymore. You know, so the concept of salary, bonus, commission, stock options, equity, um, L-tips, all of these factors today are crucial when both attracting and retaining. 
So I would say remuneration strategy mm. within your business, again, if we're going to scale it, without it, it's almost impossible. James, can I uh, ask a follow-up to that? Because I'm seeing that remuneration in terms of the salary package in and of itself seems like it's no longer the only or even the most important thing that talent are looking for. And so recruiting firms as well as companies in the wider market are looking for more and more creative ways of, um, you know, packaging, uh, more and more creative benefits packages. So for example, like how many days a week can I work from home remotely versus how many days I'm coming to the office? What are the hours? Are they flexible and so on? What have you seen that you think it has been, um, what are some of the best non-financial benefits that you've seen among your uh, recruiting portfolio? So I think you've got what we call all of the above um, because everybody is different. Everybody's circumstances are different. You know, some people, you know, want to work from home that I wouldn't encourage working from home. So I think Mm. if you're in your 20s and you're learning the trade, I think it's a very bad mistake not to have the office environment, the culture, the people, the interaction, the learning, the development, etc. I think working from home will impede that. So I'm not a believer of that. So I think the concept of flexibility has to be specific. I don't think you can apply a broad brush because, in my view, I don't think it works. So I think mm. when you're looking at flexibility, I think all of the, to be able to scale and build a successful business, you need to understand all of the above. So salaries will change depending on experience, age, background, market sector, with your contract, with your perm, with your executive search. So you've got to be flexible in your thought process based around the individual that you're bringing in. The commission structure, you know, whether it's paid on invoice, whether it's paid on received, whether it's paid on written, whether it's paid on start date, or whether it's paid on collection, you know, all of those factors have an impact on remuneration. Then the bonus, if he's in a management capacity, if he's looking after other people, if he's cross-selling, you know, if he's doing business development on behalf of other people, there should be a bonus structures connected to that. Depending on the seniority, if he's in management, you know, should he get a stock option? Should he get equity? You know, should he get an LTIP? So I think each of those, you know, I spend a huge amount of my time, a massive amount of my time with my businesses because they've attracted somebody, they've identified somebody, they're at the final stages of, of closing the individual. And when I say, what are your thoughts on package? And they say, I'm thinking about a base of 35 and a commission of 10%. And I said, and? And they're stuck. Because to be honest, it's not their skill set. They've never been in a position where they've had to make that decision because in their previous life, they were working to a mandate. So there there was no flexibility because the company they worked for paid a formula. So that the the, the length or the extent of their experience is based on what they know. But now they're in a position where there is no formula and you have to be creative and you've got to design it, but you've got to design it understanding what the consequences and impact of your decisions are. 
Because if you pay on written, you're taking a risk because the candidate may not start. If you're paid on start date, there's still a risk that the client may not pay or pay within 90 days and you have a cash flow impact. You know, if you're offering options, at what price are the options granted? Over what period are the options vested? You know, if you're offering equity, what is the equity driver? Is it day one or is it over time? So because our individuals don't know any of the answers to those questions, because they've never been in a position where they've had to make those decisions, is what are the limiting factors of attracting talent? And then we go on to the impact of not being able to attract the talent. We go back to being a boutique. We can't scale the business, which is one of the reasons why Recruitment Entrepreneur has done so well, because the fact that you're part of an organization's where you're getting all of that support, you're getting all of that coaching and that mentoring and all the things that you've never experienced, working with a group of experts who bring that expertise to the table is where I saw a gap in the market when I launched Recruitment Entrepreneur because all of the points we're sharing and discussing together now, Mark, are the things that I realized as to why businesses were not scaling because people didn't have the experience And I thought if I could create a business like Recruitment Entrepreneur, where somebody who was an exceptional biller, who had passion, drive, the motivation to want to build a business, but recognized the things that he didn't have and found a partner within Recruitment Entrepreneur who brings that expertise to the table, I thought would create the perfect marriage. Amazing. I love it. Um, so many questions that have come out of just what you shared, James. One being, I think this issue of remote working is one that many recruiting firm owners are struggling with, they're grappling with, because it's there seems to be a huge demand for it. But on the other hand, for reasons you just shared, it can be counterproductive, especially, I know, like reading your book, when you were growing Alexander Mann, you're all in one room. You can hear each other on the phone. People are learning by osmosis almost by listening to successful billers, how they, what questions they ask, how they, you know, qualify and so on. Um, and so working on your own, of course, you've got Zoom and you've got Slack and email, but it's not, you know, Microsoft Teams. It's no substitute for being physically in the same room and the energy level that comes from that and the learning opportunity how do you how do you reconcile the you know the seeming deme- the the desire of the talent to want to have more flexibility with the needs of the business to actually what would be better for the development is to spend more time in the office i think it's not just the need of the business i think it's the need of your development i think it is the need of your motivation and i think that I think there's nothing wrong in having flexibility where maybe, you know, two days a week you do work from home where there's the balance of the things that I don't necessarily need to be in the office for, the things that I can do. So maybe I'm spending all day Friday sourcing or I'm on the phone or whatever I'm doing. So I think, I don't think you can use a broad brush to say, you know, as of July the 1st, everybody works from home. I think as an owner, you have to look at what you do, the market you're in, the people that you have, but most importantly, the level of experience of those people. If you have somebody who's been with you for 10 years, they're a seasoned recruiter, they've got an established customer base, they've got predictability of revenue, you know, he's a family guy, he's got children, he lives a two-hour commute away, 
you know, on that, you know, on an individual basis, I'm very flexible in understanding the issues and the reasons and coming up with a plan that I think is right for that individual and my business. But I think too many businesses I've spoken to are trying to, to be all things to all people and end up being a bowl of soup where you've lost the clarity of what your business is. And I think the thing that worries me the most is one of the things that I've learned in recruitment is retention is all about glue. It's the relationships, mm-hmm. it's the camaraderie that we have in the business. We spend more time at home or at work than we do at home. But if we lose that, then what is it that we're doing that's going to keep our people in the long term? What is the glue that will keep them as part of our organization? And, and I'm slightly nervous that if I'm simply working from home day in, day out, I don't interact with the team. I'm not interacting with people. I'm not going for lunches on a Friday evening. I'm not going to the pub where I develop relationships with the guys and we have some fun or they have that camaraderie. If you take all that away, it just simply comes down to remuneration. Mm-hmm. And as we know, somebody will always pay a bit more. And if that's mm-hmm. the only thing you've got hanging on, I think it's too weak. Amazing. What, so let's talk about the glue and I mean, really the glue is culture is what you're talking about, but it's so many different things, the camaraderie, the relationships, um, the atmosphere and everything else. Um, but what about your development? Go ahead. You know, when you're Mm. there, you know, because you're constantly developing as an individual and you're developing because of the things that you see around you, decisions being made, people doing well, people not doing very well. You happen to be in the office. You know, there are so many things that happen when you're in the office. But if you're not there, you're going to miss all of that. You know, you, the interaction, and the, the relationship you build with the founder, with your CEO. You know, where's your career going? Because if you're not there, I'm just kind of imagining in the short term, I can see those classic advantages. You know, I don't have to commute anymore and you know, I can be with my family and all that wonderful stuff, which I'm not against any of those issues. But I also have to put your career, you know, in a sense of importance to say, when I look at my career, you know, I've learned as much from the people around me as I've done myself. But if I, if I didn't have that, if you rewound James Khan back and said, James, you know, you're a great guy, you're very talented, but I want you to work from home. Would Alexander Man today be the largest business in the world? Probably not. Because I just, I think that consistency of learning and developing and being motivated and being inspired, you know, I think it's very hard to do from home. And people sparking off each other and having ideas which, you know, spontaneously just occurred through the course of a conversation that may never have happened if people weren't, you know, thrown thrown up against each other. Um, totally understand that. You mentioned the importance of someone with that drive, that passion, who wants to create something. And I think this is one of the characteristics that's essential for success as a recruitment consultant, as well as a business owner. How do you really assess and measure that to decide a whether you want to hire someone and take them on or b if you want to back somebody because at interview everybody of course is going to come across and express how driven and how self-motivated they are so how do you know which ones 
actually have that passion and that resilience and, you know, will overcome the setbacks and the disappointments and everything else versus the ones who are just saying what they know is the right answer? Um, I think it's a great question, Mark. And what I tend to do is I focus on the word why. Mm -hmm. So when people say I'm passionate, you know, I say why. When they say, you know, I want to be successful, the question is why? Mm. Because as you rightly say, if you don't qualify, it's just a throwaway comment. So the answer is in the quality of the qualification. So when somebody says to me, you know, I want to be successful, I say, well, the whole world wants to be successful, but only a handful of us need success. Why do you need success? What's, what is it about your background, your journey, your family history that's driving you for the need of success? So when you read my book, you could very clearly tell that I didn't fit in the need to have box. You know, it, was, I, it wasn't a nice to have. It was a need to have because of my family, my father. I left my father's business. I needed to prove something to my father that I could make it on my own. And there was some, you know, when you read the book, you can get inside my head to say, this guy had a, an absolute drive. So what I try and do when I meet somebody who wants to sign up on their own, you know, and to give you an idea, I think we end up backing one in 19 of the qualified people we meet. So what is it about the 18 is simply the fact that we don't, we're not convinced that A, they understand or appreciate the other nine characteristics of building a business. So of the 19 people, I would say 50% of them we turn down simply because their assumption is, because I can build, I can build a business. And we know that that's that just not going to happen because forget about our opinion, but all the statistics in the UK market say that's not going to happen because 73% never make it. So... You know, we need people to understand that the journey of building a business is complex. There's a lot more involved than you think. And if you don't have the expertise and you don't have the resources around you, the fact of reality is you are going to be a two-man band, a one-man band, a three-man band. And therefore, your motivation of building a business really came to nothing because there is no value in the business. There's no equity value because you earn 100% of nothing because it's worth nothing. So I think that factor is about establishing the need. So how do we differentiate when we're hiring somebody, when we're backing somebody? We need to understand what truly drives them. Because it's not, as we know, it's not just money. It's about recognition. It's about being empowered. It's about proving somebody to something. It could be to yourself. It could be to your partner. It could be to your family. It could be that you want to educate your children privately and that's a genuine motivation and a need. It could be owning your own home. But how many owners do I meet when I say to them, what is it about that individual that's motivating you to want to hire? They don't actually know the answer because mm -hmm. they never qualified, because they just did what I call a vanilla interview. So, John, you've been there for five years and tell me about what you did and what did you build, etc. But they don't go beyond that. And I think one of the reasons I've been very successful is because the people that I bring on board, I want to understand who they are. I want to know their story. I want to know their journey. And even when I was in Dragon's Den and I was making investments, I used to 
to not to overly be obsessed with their product, but I was obsessed with them. You know, what's your journey? What's your story? Tell me a bit about you. You know, what brings you to the den? What is it that you're looking to achieve? The money is one factor, but if they don't have the conviction, the belief of what they want to do, my capital won't solve the problem. Wonderful. Uh, that's a great answer. I love asking why, and you can ask why multiple times to dig deeper and, and deeper, of course. So, James, looking back over your career, what do you think is the, the best advice you've received? Observe the masses and do the opposite. Brilliant. And that was from your, your father. Indeed. Uh, I believe. Brilliant. And uh, well, look, James, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. You've, uh, there's some, been some absolute gold nuggets in here. So I, I really appreciate it. And we'll include links to your uh, social accounts as well as your businesses in the show notes. But if there's one website that you would refer people to, uh, which would it be? Um, I think if they go to james-khan.com, um, okay. which is my personal website, you can access pretty much any information about me, access to, you can have a free download of my audio book, um, you know, The Real Deal. Um, there's also, if you're looking to start a business, uh, a business that I, a book that I wrote, which is a bestseller called Start Your Business in Seven Days, which you know, really kind of identifies the journey of the things that you have to do. Um, and there's a lot of information on the website. So if you just go to jamescon.com, uh, you can have as much information as you need. So it's james-con.com. Correct. Fantastic. James, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I really Mark. enjoyed it. Lovely chatting to you and time just flew by. It did. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Let's you have a great again. day. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.